The American Gladiator has to be America's best game show. Anybody agree with me? Okay, maybe not. Maybe you're, maybe you're more of a Wheel of Fortune kind of person. I don't know. I don't know. But I, I loved American Gladiators watching it. And really, truly, I mean, if you didn't know what the show was, well, here, here's what it looked like. Okay, you have this muscle-bound athlete, professional athlete, and they lived to eat up competitors. And then... What, uh, and then an office worker, you know, somebody that was really good back in middle school at uh, middle school football came on the show and they had a chance to compete for money. Okay. And, and it was just the clash of almost the Titans whenever they, came, they met in the middle. And it was a lot of fun. And, and I, I just loved watching this growing up. But I'm going to be honest with you. It, it was just a game show. And it was, it was just, it was fun to watch and interesting to, to, to sit back and try to figure out who was going to win because a lot of times you'd see these moments of David and Goliath, just like we saw on the screen. And it, and it, it kind of blew my mind whenever I would see, you know, young David run straight at Goliath and do a somersault flip and get past him or something like that. But, but the truth is that as we go into this sermon and through the, through the rest of this month, we are doing a series called Not A Game. Because as we look at life, we can, there, there's a lot of similarities between game shows and life. But unfortunately, as with a game show, you just go on and you compete and you, you win, maybe you lose, but if you lose, you don't really lose very much and you get a few shots, you get a few tries and you just have a lot of fun and if you win, you win big. But with life, it's, it's a little bit different. You only get one shot and it's the stakes is life and death. And it's not just life and death here, but it's for eternity. And so for this series, what we're gonna do is we're gonna, we're gonna explore game shows through, or we're going to explore this scripture through the lens of game shows, and we're going to try to figure out what we can learn that we can really apply to our lives. And American Gladiators really reminds me of David and Goliath, and that's exactly what we're going to be talking about. But as we celebrate Independence Day and talking about our freedom, we really realize something here. Some of those contestants are participating so that they'll win money and it'll give them more opportunities and a chance to have more freedoms that they wanted to, to get. But as we look at the story of David and Goliath, we realize that there's a lot of parallels between us, not just individually, but as a nation. Because David and the, and the Israelites, they were fighting for their freedom. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment, but... As a country, we fought for our freedom. We were that little guy, that little colony, and we fought the Goliath of our time in England, and we won our independence, and we celebrate the freedoms that we have in America on this day, our Independence Day. And there, it's not just figurative, it's not just imaginary, it's not just a, a, a war with our ideologies. There are people that literally have fought and secured our freedom. And I want to recognize this morning those in this room right now 
that have uh, participated in the United States military that have, have helped protect our freedoms. If you are a, a current or former uh, veteran, would you stand so that we can say thank you to you? Wow. We want to say thank you for helping to protect our freedoms for this great nation. And that's really in our blood, isn't it? The idea of freedom, the idea of going after and securing our freedom, this, this desire, this need that we have to, to live a life where we can choose, where we have the freedom to do what we feel like we should be doing. See, we're a young country, but, but we're a blessed country. And it was because of God's blessings that we've been able to elevate the entire world through invention and even showing the, the world what real freedom looks like. And you may be able to argue today that, that because of uh, leadership or our culture or economy that we're not as free as we used to and, and I, I wouldn't argue with that. But I still stand today more free than anybody else in the entire world. And we owe that to the Lord, and we owe that to men and women that serve this great nation. And I want to tell you something today, that over 247 years ago, we won the fight of freedom because we trusted the Lord, and we fought. And today, here and now, you and I have the opportunity to go after freedom once again. But today, I want to focus us in, not just on our our freedom that we enjoy as a nation, but I want to look at your personal freedom. I want to talk about your spiritual freedom, the opportunity that you have to overcome the giants in your life. See, I want you to walk away from this place loose from every chain, every addiction, every Everything that holds you back in your past, the things that make you feel guilty, and then things that make you filled with shame. I want you to be able to walk out as an overcomer free because of Jesus. As we look at the story of David and Goliath, it reminded me of American gladiators. And I want us to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17, and you'll really see what I'm talking about, because it really is a story, and everybody knows the story of a, a big guy versus a little guy. But that's an oversimplification if you really think about it, because when we read the story, we find out that the tables were always tipped in our direction. Let me give you a little bit of background as you're turning there to verse 8. Um, Saul is the king of Israel, and it's the king that all the people chose. They went out and they chose the person that they felt was the best suited. He was the tallest in the nation at that time. Uh, he was a natural-born leader. He looked like the king. He walked like the king. He talked like the king. And so he was anointed as king. But as we know, God doesn't look on the, on the outward appearance. He looks at our hearts. And there was some big deficit in the heart of Saul. And so God chose somebody else 
he chose David and anointed David. But at this time, although David was anointed as king, he wasn't king and Saul still was. And so the Philistines began to realize and recognize deficits in the nation and they began to, they began to invade and they kept pushing the borders and pushing the borders closer and closer. About 14 miles away from Bethlehem, the Philistines lined up getting ready to press in towards the coast because they wanted it all. They were going to destroy Israel just like they destroyed other nations in their path. And Saul had no choice but to line up across the valley from the Philistines that were about to invade. And here we are, army versus army. And in that time, because combat was usually came, came down uh, to hand, hand combat, what happened was uh, there was so much carnage that after a battle, neither side could really say that they won because so many people had died. And so at that time, it was very common for kings and rulers to choose one person to go out into the middle and fight on behalf of the nation, another person from the other side. And so the terms of this particular conflict are, are pretty obvious. It was, if you lose, you become slaves to the other. That's a... That's pretty big stakes, if you ask me. And so that's where we pick up in verse 8 when we find out exactly who Goliath is and what he wants to do here. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted at a taunt across the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Now there's a picture of Goliath right there. This huge man. He is the gladiator. He, he came out and he's a monster that stands nine foot six inches tall. That's how we were able to translate those measurements in, your, in, in the Bible. Nine foot and six inches tall. He carried body armor that was 125 pounds of scales that were wo woven together. He carried a huge long sword and a spear that with the, just the head of it was 15 pounds. And then he had a, a, a helmet made of bronze and, and leg guards made of bronze. This guy was a beast. And not only that, but he had a shield that was probably as tall as me. Now at the time, even today, today's standards, that is incredibly big. As a matter of fact, he is bigger than the, the tallest guy in recorded history at nine foot, six inches tall. Some scholars have suggested that, uh, uh, that some people have suggested that this was uh, a wrong translation, but when we go back and we look at the very earliest text, this is exactly how tall he was. It's just a massive guy. And whenever you consider the fact that the average man at that time was 5'2", I was a giant. 
I was born in the wrong time. <laughs> and see, that is, doesn't even mean that, uh, even touch his name. See, his name Goliath is probably not actually his name. Goliath comes from a term that means the man in the in-between. You see, the Philistines came for one reason and one reason alone. They wanted to take their land and make them slaves. And Goliath is the man in the in-between. He stood there ready to take everything that Israelites had and needed. The thing that God had given them. As a matter of fact, he was going to make them their slaves. And whenever I read this, I look at this, it's just, there's just so clear, such a clear parallel between the story of David and Goliath and our story as Christians. Because, ladies and gentlemen, I need to tell you something. There is a devil out there. And he represents the man in the in-between and the sin that comes with him with his lies. The Bible tells us that he is the father of all lies. In him there is no truth. And what he wants and what he's come for is to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus has said this, that he comes and that he is life. He, he wants to give it to us and that he wants not just to give us life, but give us more abundant life. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the truth, the way, and the life. But see, in this culture, I, I can't believe I'm even having to say this into today, but I feel a need to explain what the difference is between a lie and the truth, and the truth and a lie. You see, a lie is very simple, okay? And you, you might, there's some people that, know this information in here, but there's some people that need to lean forward and listen to what this means because you've been watching too much news, okay? A lie, all right, is something that's not true. A lie is, uh, see, the truth is black and white, right or wrong. It's up or down. A, the truth is is factual, a tr the truth is verifiable, okay? But this world wants to tell you that, that it's actually your truth and my truth. This world wants to muddy the water and, and, and act like truth is subjective to the person that, that is talking. The world wants to tell you that, that Truth is relative to the situation that what is right is not always right and what is wrong is not always wrong. But ladies and gentlemen, truth is truth and a lie is a lie. And the way that the enemy tries to work us is that he tries to wrap truth in a lie or wrap a lie rather in truth. And when we begin to believe a lie, we grow and we believe and we start to walk in a wrong direction away from God's truth. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean just that you don't believe scripture anymore. 
See, God has designed you with a purpose. He, he has designed you to live a, a, a certain life, a life that, that gives you meaning and hope, and it, a life that makes sense. And as you believe the lie that the enemy wants to tell you, it's not just because it violates the principles in God's word. It's that it violates your life. And it changes the course and the direction from what would be most successful and most beneficial and, and healthy and filled with life for you. And it pulls you into a, a direction and an area that is filled with depression. It's filled with anxiety. It's filled with fear. It's filled with, it's filled with brokenheartedness. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not just whether you believe in, in the Bible or not. It's, it's whether you want to live a life that has life in it. And so when we, when we begin to dig into the lies of the enemy, it takes us further and further away from that, that belief. This is not about po politics. This is not about, this is not a political statement about uh, right and left wing. And when we phrase it in those terms, when we think about it in those terms, it, I think it actually does a, a disservice to God's word and the truth. Because here, watch this. If we make it political, then all of a sudden we're, we're, we're drawing a line and creating teams. And you're on that team, and I'm on this team, and I'm going to win. But watch this. The people on the other side are the people that God told us to have compassion for, to love, and to minister to. The people on the, on the other side, those are the people that God wants. And so it's not right versus left. It's not Republican versus Democrat. It's actually this, the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of darkness. You see, God has created us to live in his truth. And I want to tell you this morning that when we are filled with compassion and go after people, it doesn't matter what background, what religion, what political affiliation they come from. God wants them in his family. The Bible tells us that we battle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and rulers of, of darkness. And ladies and gentlemen, the battle is not one person against another. That's about the kingdom of God over the sinful world. See, when it really comes down to it, the Bible tells us that everybody has been a slave. Everybody has failed. Everybody has fallen short of God's glory and perfect standards. And so when we read about sin, when we read about what the Philistines wanted to do to the Israelites, we can really see our picture in that. Many people would say, well, Pastor John, I, I've never been a slave. I, I'm not. I'm not a slave. I've always been free. I've, I'll, I've always been able to do what I wanted to do. But I, I've got news for you. The question is not whether you've been a slave or not. 
The question is, what have you been enslaved to? Maybe this morning you're sitting and you realize that you are still right now enslaved to something. Oh, what are you enslaved to? Many of us carry our slave drivers right around in our pocket. We got that little phone, don't we? And it gives us a portal to anything and everything that controls who we are and what we do. Perhaps you're sitting there and and you are controlled by envy. You flip on social media and you look all through it and then all of a sudden you find yourself wanting something that somebody else has so bad that it just absolutely makes you sick. Maybe you're controlled by gossip. And right now, at this moment, you're texting somebody what somebody did to you today. (laughs) I saw a whole bunch of people go. (laughs) Or maybe, maybe you're a slave to lust. And every free second that you have in secret, you run and you look at something that you know you shouldn't be looking at. The truth is, is that we're all slaves and we've been slaves to one, two, or many things in our lives. They seek to control us, to pull away at us, to chain us down to guilt and depression and anxiety and fear. The fear of exposure, the fear of uh, in our insecurities. And that's the very giant that God wants to come and free us from. All of you want freedom, but, but at some point, we're jerked back by that chain of temptation and placed down under it. You can't help it. You can't get away from it. You're locked down. And to be honest with you, that's exactly what um, the Israelites felt. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 24 tells us, as soon as the Israelites, Israelite army saw that him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant that the men asked? See, I want to tell you something. That it doesn't matter how big you are, how smart you are, how tough you are, uh, what kind of willpower that you are, you can't get free from those chains. You can't overcome those giants on your own. You need the Lord to move on your behalf. You need the Lord to come in and help you. You see, Jesus is the truth that will set you free from every addiction, from every sin, from every shame, from every guilt. But you can't do it on your own. You can't can't bring clarity on your own to your situation. As a matter of fact, clarity is exactly what Jesus has come to bring us. He wants to bring this culture of clarity. There, There are people right now that are confused about their gender. God has come so that they can have clarity on who he's created them to be. There's people right now that have been chasing money all of their lives and they still feel empty and broken. And the Lord wants right now to bring them peace and fill them with joy that they've never experienced from money. That's the kind of God that we serve this morning, the the kind of God that, that the shepherd boy David 
served. The kind of God that, that can change things and empower somebody. And so, as we look at the story this morning, we find out that David did three things that guaranteed him the victory on that faithful day. Number one, David was passionate about God. Somebody say passionate. When we are following the, uh, the directions to do anything, the first step is the most important step. I mean, think about it. When you're cooking, right? When you're trying to build a piece of Ikea furniture, right? Or when you're on your way to go to a destination, the first step is the most important. Because if you get off on that first step, you miss the boat on everything, right? When you're cooking, you don't make the cake right, okay? When you're trying to build your, your bookshelf, you end up with a bed and you don't know what to do, okay? When you're on your way to a destination, you get lost, and that's why the very first step is being passionate about God. Because many of us have done all of the right things except for the one thing that's the most important is become passionate about God. I want you to know this morning that you can do all of the, all the programs and you can read all the self-help books and you can go to therapies and you can sit in good services. You can, you can watch uh, all, the right, uh, all the right people, but watch this. If you do all of that, but you neglect your relationship with the Lord, you missed all of the victory. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I want you to know that that's why our theology of salvation has to become so important. We have to get that right because if we miss it, we don't understand that when you come to God, you don't come to God all cleaned up, okay? You come to God a mess and he's the one that cleans you up. You see, we've, we've seemed to have forgotten as a, as a church and as a nation something very important. That you don't go to church and you don't uh, and, and go to uh, the prerequisite uh, five years of Sunday school before you can accept the Lord. Okay? You don't shake the preacher's hand in order to get saved. You, 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 don't, uh, you don't learn a whole bunch about the Bible in order for God to come through and do something in your life. You first come to him and trust him with your life. And then he's the one that comes in and cleans you up and turns your life right. It doesn't mean that you don't change the way that you behave. It doesn't mean that whenever you believe in him, you don't begin to, to order your life according to his word. But our theology of salvation tells us that when we come to him, we come to him a mess, and he's the one that cleans us up. It doesn't matter where, what kind of background that you had. If you've come from another religion, if you've come from an a, a impoverished background, if you come and you're very wealthy, it doesn't matter what kind of po politics you come from. You come to God as you are, and then you get on his team. Ladies and gentlemen, when we look at David's life, it's all about the heart. And that's what God saw. First uh, Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, whenever God rejected his brothers, uh, David's brothers, he, uh, it says in verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at what? It's about the heart. When you make a commitment to the Lord out of your heart, that's what the Lord is looking for. See, there's some people in this room right now that have had a hard time trying to overcome things in your life 
because you hadn't had the right heart. You hadn't made a heart change about things. And God wants to speak to that. He wants you to come to him in the right heart because whenever you try to do everything else and you miss that step, sin is still going to have a hold on you. Sin is what's holding you down. It's not, it's not your parents. It's not, it's not your friends. It's not, it's not your situation. It is sin. And whenever you come to the Lord, he can free, free you from that. But the first thing is having the right heart. Number two, David was confident about God. There are things that my kids have a lot of confidence in me about. <laughs> my kids think that I'm just amazing, and I am, but... But my daughter said something to me the other day. She said that, she said, Daddy, if there was a fire in this house, you could run through all the walls to save me. I'm praying that there's not a fire. Okay? My, my oldest son, he, he thinks that any question that I ask him, I ought to just know. And if I don't know, I make it up. Okay? My, my middle son, okay, he is, he is just a mess, and he believes that I ought to be able to catch him if he jumps off of anything, whether I'm looking at him or not. And I have not dropped him that I will admit to. My little son, he's, he's grown up, and he has a lot of personality. He's gaining personality. He's the same way. He thinks that if he's on a bed, he can just crawl right off the bed and I'm going to catch him because he wants to get down. My kids have so much confidence in me. How much more should we have in our heavenly father? First Samuel chapter 17, verse 46. Today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut your head off. <laughs> this is talking from David to Goliath, not you. <laughs> And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that I am the Lord, that the Lord rest, uh, that um, I lost my place. Well, praise the Lord. That the, uh, there it is. And every... One assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with a sword and a spear. But watch this. Amen. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Many of us love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but we've neglected something very important. It's the Lord's battle. It's not ours. We said yes to the Lord, but we kept trying to fight ourselves in our own way, in our own circumstance. Friend, can I tell you something? You're still not smart enough. You're still not strong enough to win up this battle. You're the thing that got you into it. You're not the thing that's going to get you out. Trust the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not towards your own understanding. In all your way, acknowledge him. And then what? He will direct your path. Thirdly, David was used by God. He was used by God. When God's children face situations and circumstances like the giants, they can be sure that if they have the same kind of faith that David did, that God is going to come through for them.
Watch this. This is very important. Jesus wants you to be free. He wants you to know that it doesn't matter the size or the shape of your giant. He can set you free because he will be the one that empowers you. Philippians 4.13, for I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now watch this. It doesn't say I can do all things. It says I can do all things through Christ. He's the one that gives you strength. He's the one that comes through in your life. See, somebody needs to be reminded this morning that you were created to be an overcomer. You were created to to conquer every giant that's in your way. You were created to live in freedom and enjoy the peace and prosperity that God has for you, right? It doesn't mean that you're without problem. It doesn't mean that you're, you're gonna, life is gonna be easy, but it means that you're gonna be able to conquer the enemy of your life, not because of you, but because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so this morning, I want you to know that God is, uh, is undefeated when it comes to caring for his children. See, I want, to, I want you to look right now at what exactly David did to conquer this giant. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd bag, he took out a stone. He hurled it with a sling and hit the Philistine's forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell on his face down to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistines with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from a sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. I need somebody in here to recognize this, that you may not feel equipped, you may not feel ready, but God has given you everything that you need right now in order to conquer that giant as so long as you trust him with it. But that giant that you face right now, you may feel like you're facing it all alone. You may feel like nobody could understand what you're going through, but I've got news for you, that when you overcome your giant, it may give somebody else exactly what they need to overcome the giant that they face in their life. You see, because your freedom isn't just your freedom, your freedom is every other person that your life touches. Ladies and gentlemen, your family needs you to be free. Young person, your parents need you to live a free life. Your business needs you to live a free life. 1 Samuel chapter 17 verse 51 tells us exactly how that looks, what that looks like. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Now watch this, verse 52. Then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. The bodies of the dead and wounded Philistines were strewn all along the road from Sharam as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the Israelite army returned and plundered the deserted Philistine camp. Your freedom sets other people free too. God has something for you today. And I don't know what your chain is. I don't know what your sin is. I don't know what you're bound up in. But God is calling you out of it. He's calling you to live a life of freedom. Would you stand all over this place with me? 
See, the trouble is, is that you can't have a test, a money, without a test. And you can't face a giant, or you can't overcome a giant until you face him. And this morning, we have a wonderful opportunity right now, right here, to come to the Lord and pray. And if you have been struggling and you've been facing a giant, and every time you step up to the plate, that gladiator wipes you out. Every time you step up to face your addiction, you give in right away. Every time you try to live a life filled with peace, your peace is ruined by the thoughts of the past and the guilt that you carry. This morning, if you are struggling, it's time to come down to the altar and find freedom, true freedom, final freedom in Jesus' name. He can do it if you trust in him, if you give him your heart and your life. He can do it if you have confidence in him. And he'll empower you to do it. Ladies and gentlemen, whether you're struggling or a friend is struggling, I want you to come right now and begin to pray and ask the Lord. So would you bow your head all across this place? The most important part of this message is very simple. This morning you're out there and you're struggling with sin, you're struggling, you're struggling. But perhaps your problem is that you don't know Jesus as your personal savior. This morning, if you'd like to make a life change, a heart change, and you'd like to know him for the first time or rededicate your life, this is your opportunity. Would you just raise your hand and I'll acknowledge you. I won't call you out, I won't have you come to the front. I just wanna, I wanna, I wanna know that I'm praying with you this morning. If that's you, just simply slip up your hand. I'm looking all over this place, I'm looking all over this place right now. Thank you, sir, yes. One more moment. Thank you, I see you. Thank you. Wow. This morning, I wanna pray with you. I wanna pray that God does a work in your life Right now, if the Holy Spirit's doing something in your life, or you have a family member or a friend that you know that you need to pray for because they need to overcome a giant, I want you to step out from your seat and find a place at the altar as we go to the Lord and pray. You can do that while I'm praying. Heavenly Father, I love you and I praise you and I thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives right now. Lord Jesus, there are people in this church that need to be free from temptation. There are people that need to be free from the chains of sin and shame. Lord, right now, I pray, God, that you would just do a work in their heart, Lord, so that they can walk out in freedom. Lord, I pray that you would give them, Lord, what they need to overcome every giant and every temptation and live the kind of life that you called us to live. Hallelujah, praise your name. If you've got a friend up here or you want to, you feel like the Lord's wanting you to pray with somebody, would you just come down and, and begin to pray with them? And we're going to continue to worship for the next few moments. Hallelujah. Thank you.
Father, I pray, God, over our church, 
Lord, that we would be a church, Lord, that experiences your freedom. Lord, and that freedom, Lord, would bubble up in our worship. Lord, that freedom would bubble up in joy. That freedom, God, would bubble up, Lord, in our love for one another. Lord, that as we walk through our families and through this church and, Lord, into our community, Lord, I pray, God, that people would see the freedom that you've given to us, Lord, and be thankful, Lord, that they have the hope, Lord, that they can come in and, and, and have a relationship with you. Lord, I pray, God, right now that you would put it in our hearts, in our lives to share our testimony with others. Lord, that it might make a, uh, give people hope and make a difference in their lives and, and expose them to the freedom that you have for them. Lord, I pray, God, that you would allow us to live our purpose out in life. Lord, to find you, to give hope, and to do life together. Lord, as we walk out of this place, let us walk out in your freedom. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Thank you for coming to Christ's Legacy this morning. Enjoy your freedom.